So let's say you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see these guys, right? And you don't know why, but you want those donkeys. You can't think of anything else other than how can I get these donkeys to the point to where it consumes your mind. That's all you can think about is getting these donkeys. Now, how many of you ever coveted a donkey, had that problem? <laughs> One person. I want to hear that story later. Um, most of us have probably never had the problem of coveting a donkey. As a matter of fact, me saying that sounds a little bit crazy. But at least in part, the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's donkey. That's part of it. And you may not have had this problem, probably haven't. You probably haven't coveted a donkey, but what about somebody's house? What about their job? What about their wealth? What about their children? Maybe you've had trouble having kids. What about some other success, business success? You know, we may not have this problem, but coveting, while in different forms, it's still a problem. The Old Testament, donkey coveting was, was a huge deal. I mean, donkeys meant money, status, importance. If you had donkeys, you were wealthy. And so there, were, there was actually a donkey coveting problem. For us, it takes different forms, but the problem's still the same. We covet, and there are things that we want that don't belong to us. But here's the truth. God's plan for you is not for coveting God's loving plan for us and for his glory, not a miserable life of coveting, but a joyful life of contentment, being thankful for what we have and living in that Thanksgiving. Next week is Thanksgiving, right? And every year we celebrate Thanksgiving, we're reminded to give thanks for what we have. Um, and the reality is, is that Thanksgiving should be every day for the life of the believer. We should live in thanksgiving, live in appreciation, not worried about what we don't have. That leads to misery, but being thankful for what we do have. We finish our series this morning on the Ten Commandments with this Tenth Commandment. And we've been in this for 11 weeks now. With an introduction, we've had an 11-week series, and we've talked about how the Ten Commandments is God's, they are God's blueprint for a morally excellent society. They teach us how to live in a way, individually, but society as a whole, to live in a way that pleases God, bring order to society. The Ten Commandments were never meant to save us. That's not their, their, their meaning. That's not what they were intended to do. They were meant to show us our need for salvation. The Ten Commandments, that's why they should always be placed right beside the gospel. They point us to Jesus. And they can be divided into two categories. We've seen the first four deal with how to love God and relate to God. The last six deal with how to love others and relate to others. And, and coveting certainly uh, has something to do with that. They are just as relevant today as they were when God gave them to Moses. We've seen that the Ten Commandments guide believers after you're saved. They guide believers on God's right road. And they guard believers against the world's wrong road. The world's wrong road is to covet, to want something that doesn't belong to you, to be obsessed with something that doesn't belong to you. 
God's right road is contentment, to be satisfied with whatever he chooses to give you. And so we'll look at how we can achieve contentment this morning. We're going to look at the 10th commandment. Again, Exodus 20, 17. It's not just about donkeys, but that's part of it. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his female servant or his, fe- or, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this is the last one on the list, but in many ways, this one's the most critical. Go back to number one. The first commandment begs the question, who is number one in your life? To which the answer is dependent upon the condition of your heart. Well, the 10th commandment is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. It's about heart and attitude more than action. You compare it to commandments 6 through 9, and they all deal with things that we do that affect other people. Actions. But the 10th commandment is all about the condition of your heart. It's not so much about what you do as what you think, what you dwell on. It is so very vitally important because in many ways it impacts the rest of the commandments. According to Romans 7, it's this commandment that convinced Paul convicted him and convinced him that he needed to be saved. Obedience or disobedience to this commandment is a huge key to determining the depth of your faith, my faith, and the genuineness of my salvation. The genuineness of my faith. Because again, it has to do with the condition of our hearts. And and because of that, it can be the most disturbing. Because again, I can point to things that I do. But what I think, what's in my heart, is sometimes more difficult to deal with. And that's why a lot of us struggle with this. And also because it's an issue of faith. The truth is, we don't think about it that much. But we're going to see, as Paul himself admits, that this is a, it's possibly the hardest to observe. So what does it mean to covet? Let's look at that. To covet means to desire something or someone that you have no right to possess. Doesn't belong to you. God doesn't intend for you to have it. But you find yourself wanting that thing or that person, something that doesn't belong to you. It's not a behavior. It's not something we do. Again, murder, lying, stealing, adultery, those are actions, or at least involve actions that we perform. But coveting doesn't involve an action. It's all about the heart. It's all about desire. It's much more like a feeling or a deep wanting, something inside, a desire that I have, an ungodly, selfish craving for something that you have no right to possess, something that God doesn't want you to have. It involves that, and it's the idea that, hey, if I could only have this thing or this person, I would be satisfied. If I could just get that thing, my life would be complete, when the reality is that's not true at all, but but you, you convince yourself to believe that. You know, the King James, this is talking about the heart. It's the sin of desire, a matter of the heart. The King James, in in the King James Version, you see a form of the word heart uh, about 961 different times. 63, 963. And the New American Standard, you're going to see a form of the word heart 865 times. When we're talking about the heart, What are we talking about? Well, let's look at the definition, the actual Heritage Dictionary definition of the heart. 
In anatomy, it's the chambered muscular organ and vertebrates that pumps blood received from the veins to the arteries, thereby maintaining the flow of blood to the entire circulatory system. The blood is pumped from the heart to the rest of the body. Similarly in invertebrates. Not always the same, but similar. There's the, uh, the anatomical definition. What about in a symbolic sense? Well, the Heritage Dictionary gives a, a symbolic dictionary, uh, definition as well. It's the vital center and source of one's being. Their being, their motions, their sensibilities. The repository of one's deepest and sincerest feelings and beliefs. It's the seat of the intellect or imagination. It's the emotional constitution, basic disposition or character. I mean, when we're talking about the heart and, and the, whether, you know, the anatomical definition, spiritual definition, there's a lot of similarities, right? When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not just talking about what you think. It's talking about the very being of who you are. And this commandment is all about the heart. You know, we have a lot of interest in the health of the heart in our day, and that's, that's a good thing. We should strive to have healthy hearts. If you look at a box of Cheerios, I think this is still the, the case. If you look on, the, on a box of Cheerios, you're going to see the message, the slogan, great for a heart-healthy diet, right? Because we want to have healthy hearts. We want to do what it's, what's necessary, exercise, eat well, all of those things. And this morning, we're going to look at how the spiritual heart, the health of a spiritual heart can be compared to the health of a physical heart. And just like an unhealthy physical heart, there are side effects. Well, when your heart is unhealthy spiritually, there are side effects and they can be dangerous. So let's look first at how coveting is a symptom of an unhealthy heart. A lot of verses we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Coveting is a symptom of an unhealthy heart. There are similarities between an unhealthy physical heart and an unhealthy spiritual heart. An unhealthy heart is corrupted. You think about it. Physically, if I eat poorly, if I have poor lifestyle habits, those things are going to corrupt my heart. They're going to affect the ability of my heart to function. The same is true spiritually. If I corrupt my life with evil, sinful habits, poor spiritual diet, that's going to corrupt my heart spiritually. Proverbs 6.16 says, the Lord hates six things. In fact, there are seven, seven are detestable to him. A heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil. And then Proverbs 17.20, a man of perverse heart does not prosper. He whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble. It's the garbage in, garbage out thing. I mean, if I put garbage in my life, then that's going to lead me to places filled with garbage. It's going to affect my life. An unhealthy heart is corrupted. It's also constricted. A physical heart, when the blood vessels are blocked, they become constricted, and it causes all sorts of problems. Spiritually, our hearts can become constricted because of the stress of life or sin in our lives, unconfessed sin. If you look at Proverbs 12, 25, we see that anxiety weighs the heart down. Anxiety can cause all sorts of problems in your life, spiritually and physically. Matthew 6, 27, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And if we allow anxiety to creep in, if we allow worry to take over, to consume us, it can affect 
a lot of different areas of our lives. Certainly, our relationship with Christ, our dependence upon Him, our trust in Him, and it can cause problems. An unhealthy heart is congested. Physically, again, blockage. If there's blockage in your heart, the muscles have to work harder to pump the blood. It exhausts your heart. It makes you physically weak and causes problems in that, area, in that way. It can't function properly. Spiritually, a congested heart is, is consumed by the cares of the world. You know, we allow the cares of the world to creep in, and we begin to overwork ourselves, worrying and worrying and worrying about how things will work out, what we need to do, what we don't need to do, how is this problem going to be solved, and we become consumed. We cannot relax, and we cannot find peace in life. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus is talking to the parable of the seed and the soil, and he talks about this person when he says, the one the seed sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. We can, our lives can be choked out by the concerns of the, wor- the, the world, um, and, and we can be so consumed with worry that we can't function properly. An unhealthy heart can become callous. If you've had a heart attack, you, you, you know that scars, there are scars from that. Physical scars can develop as a result of damage in the heart. And the same is true with our spiritual hearts. We can become hardened. They can become hardened because of pain, trauma, or sin that we've indulged in. Proverbs twenty eight fourteen says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. In Psalm 119, 69 and 70, verses 69 and 70, Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all of my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. Our hearts can become hardened and insensitive to the things of God because of sin, because of rebellion, disobedience. Unhealthy heart, are conf- they're confused physically and spiritually. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Our hearts are sinful. You ever heard the, the, the phrase, the heart wants what it wants? The problem with that, according to Jeremiah, according to God's word, is the heart will lie to you. The heart is deceitful. Our hearts don't know what they want in and of themselves. We are so affected by sin, we don't know what's right and wrong, apart from the Holy Spirit showing us, convicting us of what's right and wrong. The heart is deceitful. More than anything else, more deceitful than anything else, and incurable. We can't cure it on our own. Who can understand it? So physically, here's what happens uh, with your heart. If you have blockages in your heart, eventually, I mean, that, that, your heart's going to do whatever it takes to survive. And eventually it will start to look for alternative routes for blood flow. And then it will begin to function abnormally as if it were normal. Spiritually. What happens is if I allow things other than godly things into my life, my heart will go after those things, and it will seem like that's normal. Even if those things become other gods, I will start to take alternative routes to God. I'll start to take alternative routes to pleasure, to satisfaction, and I'll begin to function as if that's normal, but it's not. And, And just like the unhealthy heart... It will be detrimental to my health in the long run, spiritually speaking. It will be detrimental to my health. 
Uh, it's not healthy, no matter what it, how, how right it feels in the moment. In Psalm 14, 1, David says, The fool says in his heart, God does not exist. But whenever I place other things in the place of God, essentially I'm saying that. An unhealthy heart is conceited. Again, a, a heart that's got physical problems goes into sort of survival mode to the point to where it'll do whatever it takes to, to function, even if it has to, to, to not take care of the other members of the body. You know, if you've ever had blood circulation issues, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, the heart still functions, you're surviving, but it's not doing exactly what it should. And, and you know, it, it'll, it'll condense its care to the vital organs, and even less than that if it get, becomes damaged enough to the point to where you can have a heart attack. Uh, spiritually speaking, when my heart is corrupted with evil and sin, I begin to think, I begin to become consumed with my own life, and I don't think so much about the other members of the body, the other people in my life. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not in tune to the needs of others. I'm not thinking about, I'm only thinking about what I want and what I think I need. I'm not thinking about meeting the needs of others. Coveting isn't just about desiring bad things, okay? Coveting is also about desiring good things in a bad way are meeting those good needs in bad ways. But I become consumed with those things. In order to understand coveting, we need to understand craving. Craving in and of itself is not a bad thing, but we need to understand craving because craving in an unhealthy way is, is coveting. Um, cravings can be good or bad. Uh, FamilyEducation.com did a, did a study a while back and found that half of all women who were pregnant had a craving. Ladies, you'll have to speak to this, see if you identify with any of these things. They, they discovered what they say are the top five foods that women crave when they're pregnant. I asked Mandy uh, day before yesterday, and she said she checked all five off the list So uh, when she was pregnant. Top five things. Number five is bacon. I've never been pregnant, but I love me some bacon, y'all. Number four, cheese. Number three, eggs. Number two, this one we probably think of, pickles. And number one, chocolate. Top five. Some of you are, are saying, mm, yeah, you'd like to have some right now. Chocolate, pickles, eggs, whatever. Okay, think about it this way, all right? The reason I mention that. You, we all know what it's like to crave something to eat. And the closer I get to, to noon, the more you're going to crave whatever you're going to eat for lunch, right? We know what that's like. Well, to covet is to crave. I mean, coveting is similar to craving. And, and that's, now listen, a, a pregnant woman craving chocolate's not a sin, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. But when I covet, when I become consumed with something, to crave, that's an intense, urgent, consuming desire that, that promises pleasure. Again, sometimes that can be a good thing, but when I get to the point that when my my, my craving is for something that's ungodly when it's an ungodly, all-consuming, got-to-have-it-no-matter-what, then that's when it becomes a sin. When it consumes my life, that craving for whatever it is, then that is when it becomes a sin. Now, with that in mind, let's break Exodus 20.17 down. Exodus 20.17, it deals with prosperity. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. This is literally household. Uh, you know, a person's, you know, their house itself, their family, servants, their status, their career. That's what that's dealing with. 
It also talks about people. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male servant, or female servant. Male servants, female servants, translate that 21st century business success. Don't covet someone else's business success. It deals with possessions. Could be an ox, could be a donkey, could be anything that belongs to your neighbor that's not yours, that you want, that you're not satisfied with what you have, you want what they have, and you can't get it. All right, that's any possession that doesn't belong to you. Coveting always entails some type of twisted, deformed, disturbed desire for something that doesn't belong to you to the point to where it becomes an obsession. It's why we tend to focus on things we don't have rather than what we do have. And we've all been guilty of that. Some of us struggle with that more than others. It's why if you've ever had this experience where you get that little twinge of disappointment when someone else gets something that you would, you would like to have. Instead of being happy for them and rejoicing with them, you get a little twinge of disappointment. That, that's a result of coveting. Because deep down, you want that thing, or you want that recognition, or whatever. Greed is related to this. Matter of fact, covetousness is translated greed in a lot of translations. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. Luke 12.15, Jesus told them, Watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of, of possessions. Now, I've got a box here. Y'all want to know what's in the box? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what's in this box. What's in this box, we, most of us, if not all of us, have this box in our home somewhere. In your garage, in your attic. And here's what's in this box. What's in this box is something that's been in this box for a long time, probably. It's filled with a lot of different things. Here's the problem. You probably don't even know what's in this box because those things have been in this box for so very long. And we're guilty of this. We, we experienced this when we moved recently. There are things in this box that you haven't used. Matter of fact, you probably moved them to where you live from somewhere else, never removing them from this box because, hey, I might need these things one day. You never know, right? Have no idea what's in them, haven't used it for years, haven't looked in the box for years, but there's stuff in here that you just cannot live without. And this box is stacked in your garage or your attic or something like that. This box, you know why there, a lot of people park in their driveways? Because their garages are filled with these boxes. Not just one, but many of these boxes. We are so consumed with stuff. And I, like I said, we went through this. When we moved, we made probably a dozen trips to Salvation Army because we finally threw stuff away that had been sitting in, our, sitting in our shed for six years. And we hadn't even cracked the box. Didn't, didn't use it, didn't look at it. But we've all got this stuff. We live in a culture that is consumed with stuff, don't we? We are so, we've got more stuff than we know what to do with. Storage, how many storage businesses do we have around here? just within a rock's throw of a distance. Storage businesses are booming. Let me tell you the secret to covetousness. The secret to covetousness is that, uh, to, to solving that for some of us is that we need to chunk the box. We need to get rid of the box. Now, we've still got some work to do. I'm not saying I'm perfect in this. We've got stuff that we need to go through, but, but we've thrown a lot of stuff away. 
Because we get, we get consumed with this stuff and we, our lives become about stuff. But the problem is we've got more and more stuff, but we're still not satisfied. That's why we've got, mul- it's not just one box, it's multiple boxes. But we're so wrapped up in getting stuff and, and, and attaining stuff. We have so much, but the reality is, is we have so very little joy in life. Many of us. What's even more tragic is that when we become consumed with stuff, a lot of times we forget about what's more important than that, and that's the mission. We become so wrapped up in our own lives that we forget about people who are lost and don't know Jesus. Because, again, our hearts become conceited, and we're so worried about surviving and getting what we want. We're not thinking about the needs of others, the great, greatest need being salvation. Paul listed this as a characteristic of a sinful world in Romans 1. Verses 28 through 32, Uh, you think about it. The 10th commandment isn't the last because it's least. The 10th commandment is last because it's the root of everything else. Why do people steal? Why do they lie? Why do they commit adultery? It's because there's a desire. It starts with a desire. It starts with a thought. It starts with thinking about that thing. And then it leads, that leads to thinking about how much I want that thing. And if, if left unchecked, it, be, it, it turns into being consumed with thinking about, with wanting that thing to the point to where it consumes your entire thought process, which then at that point, it's at that point that sin has its way with you, with me. And before you know it, by breaking the last commandment, you've broken the first two commandments. Because that thing, whatever it is, has taken a place in your life that belongs to God. That thing is number one, and that thing or that person becomes your idol. But it all begins with a thought. It all begins with thinking about something. And it's okay to want things, but when we become consumed with those things, that's coveting. And this is the theme of the world we live in. The theme of the world is you'll never have enough. More and more and more. Think about it. Top, ad, ad campaigns deal with this. It's donkey 11.0. Bigger, thinner, and faster. So you've got to have it. Doesn't matter if you've got donkey 10. You've got to have 11, right? It's, it's just, it, there's, it can do more. It's bigger. It's faster. It's, it's cooler. And all ad campaigns, most of them uh, appeal to that. They feed on that desire that we have to have the biggest and the best. Think about it. I found an article that had the top 40 ad slogans of all time, the most well-known. I won't read all of them, but a few of them. Uh, You'll recognize them, and they feed on this, wanting the best and wanting what I want, uh, whatever I want. Hallmark, when you care enough to send the very best, you got to have the best, and you want to send the very best. Wheaties, it's the breakfast of champions. If you want to be a champion, you got to eat Wheaties. The beers, jewelers, a diamond, diamonds are forever. Yeah, it's the best, the very best. Here's one, Kit Kat, have a break. You deserve it, right? You deserve whatever you want. Have a break. Now, the way to get that is to eat a Kit Kat. They are pretty good. I think I saw somebody eating one before church. They are good. Coca-Cola, the real thing. It's not an imitation, it's the real thing. Everything else, second best. Burger King, have it your way. You deserve it. I deserve to have it right now and to have it my way. L'Oreal, 
Make up because you're worth it. You're, you're, and everybody's valuable, but you know, we want what we want, right? We want the best. BMW, it's the ultimate driving machine. And maybe it is, but you know, there are a lot of good vehicles out there. Levi's, quality never goes out of style. You want the best. They say they're the best. Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. With all the debt you could ever imagine, right? <laughs> and Gillette, the best a man can get. If you want the best, that's what you got to buy. Ad campaigns are all about this, and we just fall for it every time. We just eat it up because we want what we want, and we want the best. It's the grass is greener syndrome. The problem is, a lot of times the reason the grass is greener on the other side of the fence is because that's where they buried the septic tank. You get over there, and it's not as good as it seems. That's where all the fertilizer is, right? I mean, it's the grass is greener. And here's the problem. The grass is greener coveting contradicts Jesus is enough. That's the problem. And I'm here today to tell you, in case you're wondering, Jesus is enough. He can meet all of your needs, needs you didn't even know you had, and is willing to meet all of your needs. Coveting contradicts that. That's the greatest problem with coveting. Here's how Paul described his battle with coveting in Romans 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, is something Paul struggled with, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Coveting was the sin that got Paul. He struggled with this by his own admission. But Paul found the secret to defeating coveting, and that was contentment. We need to discover contentment. That's the secret to defeating covetousness. We'll see, number two, that contentment is the defining characteristic of a healthy heart. We've talked about an unhealthy heart. What about a healthy heart? Well, contentment is the secret. So what is contentment? Well, Warren Wiersbe put it this way. It's an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of of our outward circumstances. Outward circumstances. It's an inner peace. We're, we're, we're content. We're comfortable. We're at peace regardless of what's going on in our lives. That's contentment. And this can only happen when my heart is healthy. Well, the opposite of an unhealthy heart is a healthy heart. A healthy heart is clean. It's not corrupted by anything, physically or spiritually. You know, I'm not allowing things in my life that would corrupt, that would damage my heart. Spiritually, physically, whatever. In Psalm 24, verses 4 and 5, David says, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not set his mind on what is false, and one who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. David recognized the importance of having a clean heart, and that's why when he was convicted by his sin in Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. I need to clean all he knew. His heart was corrupted. And he knew in order to get right with God, his heart needed to be cleaned up. He couldn't go on with that corrupted heart. A clean heart is caring. If I'm content, it's easier for me to be generous. Think about this physically. If the heart is healthy and it's functioning properly, all of the members of the body benefit, right? Blood flow, so vitally important. 
And as I said before, if you've ever struggled with blood circulation issues, you know the problems that can cause. And so blood flow, the rest of the body benefits from a healthy heart. Spiritually, it's the same within the context of the body of the church. If I'm healthy spiritually, if my heart is healthy, then I'm going to be concerned about meeting the needs of others, the people that God places in my life to share this mission with, of reaching the lost, ministering to the lost. Whether it's within the body, I'm going to be generous to the body and meet needs, or outside of the body, because I'm not consumed with what I want to the point to where I don't recognize the needs of others. I'm care- and like a healthy heart, exercise makes a heart stronger, right? Well, spiritually speaking, in order to become strong in caring, I need to exercise that. I need to care for others on a regular basis. That's one of the reasons service is so important for every believer. Exercise makes me strong. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26 informs us a slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and they don't hold back. Generosity is one of the signs of a truly believing heart and a healthy spiritual heart. A healthy heart is also committed to its purpose. A healthy heart is not hindered by blockage. It's not hindered by weak muscles or any any other corruption. And it functions properly and it fulfills its purpose properly. Well, a spiritually healthy heart knows God's purpose for his or her life and is busy doing that. Even if there are parts, and we've all been here, if there are parts of God's plan that you don't know, and there are times in life where we don't know what's next, God is is working on us, preparing us, there are still things that we know exactly that we're supposed to be doing that God wants us to do, right? We should also always be studying his word, spending time with him. If you're, if, you, if you're a parent, being a godly parent, godly husband, godly wife, godly student, sharing the gospel, going to church, fellowshipping with the believers, there are things that we all know we're supposed to be doing. And a healthy heart does those things because they're not distracted by things that they want and consumed with things that we want. A healthy heart is committed Proverbs 19, 21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. First, or 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition uh, your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. You know, what happens when our hearts are clean and healthy and focused on the Lord, he gives us his desires. And we begin to get what we want because we want the same things that he wants. A healthy heart is contrite. It's humble. Does this apply physically? Yes, it does. Because again, a healthy heart benefits the rest of the body. It's not in survival mode. It's benefiting the rest of the body. And spiritually speaking, if I'm healthy, then I'm going to be concerned about the needs of others. To the point to where I'm concerned about your needs above my needs according to the command of Jesus and the example of Jesus. Proverbs 18.21 tells us, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Psalm 51.17, David said, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. A healthy heart is humble. And a healthy heart is one that's converted. You know, physically, a healthy heart is focused. It's undivided. It's fulfilling its purpose. It's functioning properly. Nothing's getting in the way of that. Spiritually speaking, 
If my heart is going to be healthy, then I should be focused in my faith, undivided in my loyalty to God and in his purpose for my life. Now, in order for that to happen, what needs to happen to my heart spiritually? It's got to be cleaned up, doesn't it? I mean, again, the heart is deceitful above all else. Can't be trusted. And in sin, my heart is corrupted. We come into this world with corrupted hearts, all of us. We're born with sin. And so in order for my heart to be clean, a cleansing process has to take place. But God provides a way for my heart to be cleansed through salvation. God says, I'll give you a new heart. Not just clean up the old, I'll give you a brand new heart. A converted heart. When we look in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone, their hardened heart, and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will keep, be my people and I will be their God. Gives, God gives us a brand new heart. He, it's conversion. He cleans us up so that we can serve him, be acceptable to him and serve him. Ezekiel chapter 36 speaks to this as well. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, our hearts are hardened by sin. Some more than others, but we're tainted, we're corrupted. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus about the new birth. Verse 3, Jesus said, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. you got to have a new heart. you got to have a clean heart. And only Jesus can do that. A healthy heart is one that's consecrated. Again, physically, it's clean. It serves a specific purpose, not corrupted, no blockage, no constriction, no congestion, it's clean, it serves a specific purpose, and it functions properly. Spiritually, my heart, we who have been saved, once we get a new heart, we're set aside, set apart. To be consecrated means that we're set apart for a specific purpose. And one of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the psalmist says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We've been set apart from that. A consecrated heart is ready and able to experience God. That's why in Exodus 19, verses 10 and 11, the Lord tells Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, for they must wash their clothes. Not just their hearts, everything needs to be clean. And be prepared by the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. They needed to be consecrated, set apart to experience God, ready, willing, and able to experience God. And all of this leads to a heart that's a heart of contentment. A healthy heart is content. You know, think about it physically. Most of you right now are sitting there and you're not thinking, you're not sitting there going, okay, beat. Beat, beat, right? Most of you, maybe some of you. But we don't think about it, right? We don't think about whether or not our heart's beating. Most of the time, you are now because I said it, but most of the time we're not, we don't think about it. When do you think about whether or not your heart's beating properly? When something goes wrong, right? When there's a problem. You feel something, pain, or you, know, you get that little heart flutter. Happens to me when I drink too much caffeine. You know, something like that makes you think, oh, I hope something, nothing's wrong. But, but most of the time, you don't think about it because it's just doing what it's supposed to do. 
A healthy heart, you don't notice it because it's functioning like it should. Well, I mean, it's, you're, you're at peace, you're at rest, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Well, that's the same spiritually. When my heart is healthy spiritually, I'm not consumed with the cares of the world. I'm not thinking about how my needs going to get met. You know, I'm not worried. It's okay to be concerned, but I'm not worried with, oh, I wonder how that's going to work out. Oh, what if it doesn't work out? What if, worst case scenario, chicken little, skies falling, everything. When my heart is healthy spiritually, I don't, I'm at peace. I'm at rest. And I'm trusting, Lord, you got this. You're going to take care of me. I don't have to worry about whether or not my needs are going to be met because you've already promised that you will meet those needs. And that even if I have to suffer a little bit, that you're going to provide for me in and through that suffering. All of it, even if worst case, hey, ultimate chicken little, if my life ends, you've got me in your hands. I know I'm secure. A healthy heart is not consumed with the worries. You're content with whatever you have and with wherever you are because you know whose you are. You know who you belong to. Ben Franklin said, contentment makes a poor man rich and discontentment makes a rich man poor. And it's true. Our only real craving in this life and beyond, but this life should be for the Lord, for Jesus. It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As a deer longs for streams of water, streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. It's okay to crave the Lord. It's okay to long for his presence in your life. And it's like Jesus said in another beatitude, verse 6 of Matthew 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because God wants to satisfy that desire, for they shall be satisfied. And it's like David said in Psalm 24, verse 4 and 5, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not set his mind on what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That blessing, that satisfaction, that, that gives God joy. And, 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 and he in turn gives us joy. As a result, 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these things. There's a warning for us all in that. We should not be so focused on the luxuries of life that we forget to enjoy the necessities of life. Think about it this way. Average American family goes out to eat. Okay, They go out to a restaurant. This isn't a real story, but use your imaginations with me for a few moments. This could be a real family. Probably has happened. They go out to eat. They stop at a gas station along the way, fill their car up, get back in the car, start complaining about how, how much gas is, how, much, how high gas prices are, how expensive it is to put gas in the car. They pull into the restaurant. They go inside. The mother comes back out to the car, goes back inside, comes back out to get her sweater to go back in because it's freezing in the restaurant. Okay, then dad gets up, he goes to the bathroom, he comes back to the table complaining, can't believe we picked this restaurant, they have no paper towels in the bathroom, couldn't dry my hands. Then they finally order their food, they get their food, and they spend the next 20 minutes complaining about how expensive food is compared to the, how small the portions are these days. Food keeps getting more expensive, the portions keep getting smaller. So complain over the next few minutes. And then over the course of the meal, at some point they talk about, one of them went to the doctor earlier that day or the day before, and they had to, you know, our, my insurance has gone up 20% and I had to wait an hour and a half before I could see not the doctor, but the nurse practitioner complain about the doctor's visit. Now take that, that day 
which if we're honest, some of us have experienced some of that, right? Take that and compare it to what I just read to you in 1 Timothy 6.8. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. The price of gas, a whole lot of people in this world walk wherever they go. Can't afford to have a car or put gas in it. The freezing restaurant or the church is freezing. I've heard that one a few times. A quarter of people on this planet don't even have electricity. And we complain about our air conditioning being too cold. The price of food, small portions, a third of the people on this planet are starving to death. And we complain about our food that we don't like. The bathroom, no paper towels, 60% of the people on this planet do not have indoor plumbing. Don't have a toilet. Health insurance, waited for an hour and a half. My health insurance is expensive. 19% of the people in this world have 91% of health care and medical care. Yet we complain. We're so consumed with what we don't have or the fact that what we have, we don't like. We're not satisfied. And God says, if we have food and clothing, then we should be content with those things. We need to be thankful for what we have and not want more and more and more. Listen, this doesn't mean, now God may lead you to do this, but this doesn't mean you have to sell everything and take a vow of poverty. I mean, I'm not led to do that, obviously. And not everybody is. Some people are, but not everybody is. But what it does mean is that we should be thankful for what we have. Understanding that there are a whole lot of people in this world that don't have near what we have. We should be thankful for what God chooses to give us. Proverbs 17, 22, A joyful heart is good medicine. A broken spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 15, 13, verse 15, A joyful heart makes a face cheerful, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. All the days of the oppressed are miserable, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. doesn't matter whether you have or not. You have joy in the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 21, David says, In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. That's contentment. And that is only possible when Jesus is Lord of my life. And that's why, number three, lordship is the determining factor to growing a healthy heart. Again, Paul struggled mightily with this. This was the sin that got him. He struggled with contentment, but he began to learn little by little the secret of contentment, and that is this. I said it before. Jesus is enough. That's the secret to contentment. Understanding that Jesus is enough and being satisfied in the Lord. And this is a lesson that we all need to to understand. We need to learn in order to find contentment. Contentment starts from within. It starts from having a relationship with Christ, growing in that relationship, getting to know Jesus, being satisfied in him, having him meet your needs. It starts for, for, with loving the God who loved you enough to send his son to die for your sins, meeting the greatest need you'll ever have, ever, the need for forgiveness for sins. It starts then, it starts with that, and it, and it grows into trusting him to meet all of your needs. Every need you have in life. In order to do that, we need to submit our minds to the Lord. Psalm 119.11, I've treasured your word in my heart. Put it in my mind. Memorized it. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Fill our minds with the Lord and the things of the Lord, the word of God. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Take on the mind of Christ. Become more like him. Sanctification. 
Colossians 3, 2 and 3, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Don't think about, don't be consumed with the things of earth. Have an eternal perspective on life. Think about good things, the things of God. This also means we surrender to the Lord. Colossians 3, 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You know, we need to fill our minds with the things of God, surrender our wills to God's will, not live life on our terms, but live life however he wants. And then we secure our emotions in the Lord. Look at Colossians 3.15. A few verses later, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. We Find comfort and satisfaction and peace in the Lord. God wants more from you and me than just keeping the rules. He wants your heart. He wants you. It's not just about following the Ten Commandments or not, or following His rules or not. God wants you. He wants your devotion. He deserves my devotion, your devotion. We should commit everything to the Lord. When Jesus has my heart, when I know Him... He gradually, it's a daily process, but he gradually begins to reorder my disordered desires. And suddenly, I find satisfaction in what he chooses to give me. Beyond that, I'm then able to rejoice with things that he chooses to give others that he doesn't choose to give me. Like Paul says, I'm able to rejoice with those who rejoice. When my heart is submitted to the Lord and my mind is the same as his, when I'm walking in fellowship with him, growing in my relationship with him, satisfied in the Lord, then I have joy. I have meaning. I have purpose. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he shared the secret of winning the battle against covetousness, and that's finding contentment in Christ. He put it this way, Philippians 4. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have little, to have a little, and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things, here's the key, through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in your hardship. Generosity, but Paul's saying the secret of contentment is finding contentment in Christ. The secret's Jesus, it's the, the risen Lord working in and through my life, giving me strength from day to day, finding satisfaction in Him. Circumstances, people, and recognition do not make you content. Only Jesus can give true contentment that will free you from the prison of covetousness. Only Jesus can provide in a way that provides peace and comfort that supersedes all circumstances. Jesus knew that the key to fulfilling the law of the Ten Commandments was a matter of the heart. And that's why when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, verse 37, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, most important. The second is like it, though. Because if you don't perform the second, you haven't performed the first, and you can't perform the second without the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and prophets depend on those two commandments. Jesus knew, and God knew, when he gave the Ten Commandments, that it was a matter of the heart, that our hearts had to be right before we could do any of these things. But if we give our hearts to the Lord, he will turn us into what he wants us to be, and he'll give us contentment and satisfaction if we'll let him. You know, there's a thing, some, uh, a college did some study Several universities came together and did a study that showed that Facebook users tend to be more depressed. It's what they've called Facebook envy. You know, Facebook's okay. I've got Facebook. I look at Facebook. People that spend a lot of time looking at Facebook, though, have a more likelihood of being depressed. And here's the reason. It's not looking at Facebook doesn't make you depressed. It's coveting that makes you depressed. It's looking at that family on vacation and saying, why don't we ever go anywhere? Someone talking about a promotion they got at work. Why don't I, why is my job so terrible? Someone shows pictures of their family and, man, why is my family in such a mess right now? Someone snaps a photo beside their brand new car. Why do I have to drive this clunker every day? Right? It's not Facebook this making people depressed, it's us looking at people wishing we had their lives. When the reality is their lives aren't as great, they're, they're showing you the highlights, right? I mean, they've got just as many problems, if not more, than you do. But we look at people, we, we watch them, we see their lives, we see their cars, we see their house, we see their jobs, we see their beautiful families, we see all these things, and we want, and we want, and we want, and we, all we can think about, not what we have, but what we wish we had, and then we're depressed. We covet, and we're depressed. But God says that's not the way it should be. Whether it's Facebook, or a donkey, or whatever, God's plan is not coveting and misery. God's plan is peace, living life his way. It's finding satisfaction in him. He has a better plan. Jesus, salvation, joy, meaning, purpose, mission for him. That's God's plan. That's Christ's plan for us. So here's a lesson. Let's want Jesus and what he wants for us, not what we want for us. What you want may be fine, and God may give that to you. That's fine. It may, may be nothing wrong with it. But if ever what you want contradicts what Jesus wants for you, are you okay with that? If he chooses even good things not to give you those things, are you content with that? The only way for that to happen is to, to have the heart and the mind of Christ, to want what he wants. To truly want what Jesus wants. When you have Christ, when you rest in who he is and what he chooses to give you, when you find satisfaction and contentment in that, you have in your possession what Paul calls in Ephesians the riches, the eternal riches of Christ. And there is nothing in this world that can compare with the eternal riches of Jesus Christ. That is true joy. The Ten Commandments are God's blueprint. For a morally excellent society, a life of satisfaction, a life of peace, a life of contentment. So let's take these commandments. Let's build our lives on God's principles. And in that, we will find true contentment and satisfaction. And there is no joy like that kind of joy. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for your instruction. Thank you for the rules that you give us, not rules meant to limit us or to to be a killjoy. That's not your desire. You want to make our lives abundant and full. And the only way that we can find that is through relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that as we finish this series, that if there's anybody here in this room that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would accept you this morning as we have our time of commitment, they would come forward and allow me to share with them how to be saved. The only way we will find contentment in life is to know you. That begins with salvation, accepting the gift of salvation that only you can offer. And Lord, I, I just, I believe that there's somebody here today who doesn't know you, and I pray that they would today, that they would come to know you. There may be those of us today struggling with this issue of contentment, with coveting, with, with not being satisfied with what we have, or with worrying about the circumstances of life, or, or what's going to happen in life, and we can't rest in peace, we can't rest in you, we can't trust you. It's an issue of faith, and we know it. Lord, I pray that we would submit to you and not just today but every day we would give our lives to you and trust you that we would lean on you and depend on you and allow you to fill us up with your contentment and your peace that peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus Lord there may be other decisions you're leading us to make decisions of membership other commitments baptism whatever we need to do father I pray that we would listen to your voice and respond in obedience for it's in Jesus name that we do pray Amen. Would you stand for our time of invitation?